My Seven Chakras, episode 33. All time is wasted that is not spent seeking God. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's happening, action takers? AJ here. And today, I am really excited about having our featured guest on our show, Naya Swami Arsha, who is a lifelong disciple of Paramhansa Yogananda, the person who actually began the yoga revolution in the West. And today, Arsha is going to provide us some wisdom, clarity, and hope. But before we begin, I have an announcement to make. I am so humbled and excited about the emails I've been receiving over the last few weeks from our tribe all around the world and about how our show has touched their lives. So since you're listening to the show right now, I'd love to know more about you. That's right. Send me an email at aditya at my7chakras.com. That's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my7chakras.com. Tell me where you're from. What do you like about our show? Which has been your favorite episode so far? And most importantly, what would you like to learn about in the future? I'm going to do shout outs. So I'll be reading out emails or messages that really inspired me to take this show forward. So send me an email, even if it's just one sentence, send me an email to Aditya, that's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my7chakras.com. And with that, let's move on to our show. Good morning, action takers. AJ here, and you are listening to My 7 Chakras, a show where you get to listen to insights on how you can harness the power of your body, mind, and spirit to transform yourself. And today, I am powered up to bring you our featured guest, Nayaswami Asha. So, Asha, are you ready to inspire? I'll do my best. Yes, I am. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> With warmth and wisdom, Asha helps us see how spiritual teaching can be woven into daily ordinary life. She offers practical, real-life examples to guide us, encouragement and support for the journey of life. Her teachings are non-sectarian, sharing the truths that unite the great religions. Her Sunday services are based on texts from both the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Asha is a lifelong disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda and has studied for more than 40 years with Yogananda's direct disciple, Swami Kriyananda. She has devoted her life to bringing spiritual understanding to others through teaching, counseling, and writing. So, Asha, I've given our listeners a short intro. So, take about a minute and tell us more about yourself. Um, I uh, was born and raised in America. I never really thought about spiritual life as such, but I was born with an intense desire to be happy, and I felt that No one around me was paying attention to the only thing that seemed to matter. I was, about the age of 18, I was handed a book by Swami Vivekananda, which was my introduction to the traditions of India. I think because of past lives, I immediately recognized it as what I was seeking. 
And a few years after that, I met Swami Kriyananda, who's also American-born, but the disciple of an Indian master. And literally, the moment I met him, I just knew this was what I was looking for. I was 22. It was 1969. And I've never looked looked back. Well, thanks a lot for that crisp introduction. Naosha, I know that we're going to talk about some really inspirational stories and ideas today. But before that happens, we spend a few moments to get into a space of learning and compassion. And the way we do it at My 7 Chakras is by an inspirational quote. Is that okay? Perfect. So, Asha, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us an example of how you apply this quote to your everyday life. Well, there's a quote from Autobiography of a Yogi from Lahiri Mahashaya who is the one in modern times who reintroduced the practice of Kriya, which is a unique esoteric meditation back into everyday life. Mm-hmm. Many of your listeners probably know that book. He said very simply, actually I believe he was quoting another master when he said it, mm-hmm. all time is wasted that is not spent seeking God. And how that has, uh, that has paired in my mind with something I read in Vivekananda's book, Back when I was 18, Vivekananda said very simply, everything that happens today is the result of yesterday. Everything that happens tomorrow is the result of today. And what that has meant to me is that it was the most liberating thought I'd ever heard because finally I felt I could enter into the cause and effect of my own life. And then what Lahiri said about seeking God God is a very abstract word. Actually, Indian words are better. Satchitananda is my favorite. A eternally existing, ever-conscious, ever-new joy. And so when I began to think that my life was a practice of trying to find in every circumstance where some aspect of Satchitananda was living, either by tuning into eternity, tuning into my own separate awareness from my ego, or finding within myself that unchanging basis of joy. Um, It all sounds very big, but in practice it's very little. It's just paying attention to what I am building and asking myself if what I am building is what I really want to build. And then you add in, for me, meditation, devotion, discipleship, and a, a, a host of other practices but all of them are to enable um, those those realities. I want to build a today that will give me a tomorrow that I want. All time is wasted that is not spent seeking God. I think that's really profound. And the fact that you added by saying that everything that happens today is a result of what you did yesterday and everything that happens tomorrow would be a result of what you do today. So there you go, listeners. It's all about the cause and effect Think to yourself, what are you doing today? In fact, what are you doing right now that will make a difference tomorrow, maybe a month from now, maybe a year from now? The benefits would surely be there. They just cannot be seen. But the fact that you are taking action means that the results will come sometime in the future. So, Asha, do you like spending time in nature and the beautiful outdoors? Um, I do, although I have to say it's not the first thing that I do every day, but Mm -hmm. my own home has windows and it's surrounded by trees. And so I'm always um, staring up into the sky and staring out at the trees and in, in feeling that greater expansion, 
it's it's a great help to me. I used to live very close to nature for the first 16 years of my spiritual life. I was in a country ashram, and mm. I swore that I would never go back to an urban environment, but because then I was very attuned, you know, I, I knew the stars and the moon and everything. But then... Uh, if you want to serve people, you have to go to where people are. <laughs> so I had to move. True. Um, I live now in Palo Alto, which is south of San Francisco in California, and it's suburban. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very difficult at first, I have to say, to be separated from the natural world. But when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it compensates for everything else. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine that you are conducting a meditation workshop somewhere among the mountains, maybe in sunny California. Uh-huh. And one of your attendees asks you, Asha, what is the main focus at this point in your life? What would you tell them? Attunement with my guru mm-hmm. and to be to act as a channel of divine inspiration in the world and to surrender myself as much as possible to that higher power. And you have to understand that in the spiritual path that I follow, those are very dynamic ideas. My, my teacher, Swami Kriyananda, was one of the most prodigiously creative people I've ever known. He wrote 150 books, and they weren't, they weren't trivial books, you know, commentaries on Patanjali, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. um, a, several novels of very interesting spiritual dimensions. I mean, I could just go on and on, books about money, about astrology, about family raising, about education, meaning that he didn't just churn them out. He really wrote. He also was a composer. And he he inspired the inspiration of nine communities around the world. I could go on and on. But the point is, he was an artist, and he was uh, amazingly active. And his the secret of his prodigious creativity, as he simply described it, was attunement with his guru. Because when you attune to a higher power, then the power of that power flows through you. And he always said to us, he always... Um, uh, minimize the obstacles to that attunement in the sense that anybody who sincerely wants it and what that suddenly makes you is able to act in this world with love and without fear. And so if you want to put into simpler words what do I mean by attunement with God, it means to be able to act in this world with love and without fear. And that's a whatever you call yourself, whatever your spiritual path that's a universal value that everyone recognizes. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a lot for that. There are three things you mentioned that really resonated with me. One was creativity. You also mentioned spiritual dimensions. And then you spoke about minimizing the obstacles that are currently maybe preventing you from connecting with God. And that beautifully ties into my next question. We're going to actually talk about a topic that is very important to our show and to human transformation in general, that is the chakras. And since you have an entire YouTube series called Understanding the Chakras, I am certain that you will be able to help us very well. So could you talk to us a bit about the significance of chakras in your practice? Well, let's go back to my initial quote. What you do today uh, creates tomorrow. What today is is the result of yesterday. The difficulty people have in seeing that is that cause and effect is not always immediate and then often when uh, effect takes place from some cause, you've forgotten the cause. And of course, when you put reincarnation into that where we don't um, remember in detail previous incarnations, the whole thing gets a little complicated. 
But, you know, what we're talking about here is the actual working of karma, which I hear people talk about a lot, but I, I see the more popular it gets, the less people actually understand. So what we're talking about, going back to the chakras, which is what you asked, is the chakras are the system by which karma is is uh, registered. Our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, it's they're registered. And the chakras are not part of the physical body. They're part of the energy body, the astral body. So when the physical body dies or is reassumed, the chakras are the blueprint, literally the blueprint, which determines um, where you reincarnate and every, everything. And then the, it's the magnetic force of the vrittis, which are the vrittis are the impressions, the energy impressions that are stored in the chakras that create the magnetic field that brings everything to you. This world, or, or repels it, this world is a, a world of energy that operates not by physical force, but by magnetism, by energy forces playing against each other. And if, if you think of it like this, from the lowest to the highest chakra, this is, it's more subtle than this because mm-hmm. low chakras, every chakra is positive, has a positive and negative expression. But if you think of the chakras as like different vibrations of consciousness from a complete that matter is the only reality that I, in my body identified self, and the beginning and the end of reality and what works for me is all that matters, to state of a, a Christ-like master whose awareness is equal in all of creation. Mm-hmm. Every time you do anything in your life, you are responding according to what you believe is true about eternity, about matter, about life, and above all, we act according to where we think our happiness will come from and what we think will diminish our suffering. And it registers somewhere on that scale between Christ-like awareness and absolute delusion and the chakras are the, are the, the piggy bank, so to speak, in which that energy is registered in a subtle form as an energy pattern. Mm-hmm. And what it represents is, you know, the, the pattern, the blueprint that results is everything we need to learn, we still need to learn, to move our total awareness from absolute delusion to Christ-like realization. And our karma is our unlearned lessons. And our chakra is the transition zone between matter and energy. It's an energy pattern that then manifests in the material world. Well, actually, in the causal too, but we're talking about the material world. And so your chakras are everything. Absolutely everything about your destiny is stored in your chakras and emanates from your chakras. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that the chakras are different levels of consciousness and they're a system by which our actions are registered. And you mentioned that they're not really a part of our physical body, but a part of our astral body. So even when we reincarnate, that blueprint is still there. And that magnetic force either brings things towards us or repels things away. And as we take more action, as we think in that new body, there are certain energy patterns registered within us that determine our state of being. And I think you also suggested that there are certain actions that we can take that move us uh, away from that delusion and more towards that Christ-like consciousness. 
Is that correct? Yes, that's very good. That's exactly right. Mm. That's exactly how I understand it. Yes. Thanks a lot for that clarification. So let's dive right in. If you could tell us, what is the Ananda Sangha? Ananda Sangha is the organization founded by Swami Kriyananda mm-hmm. to disseminate the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda, his guru. Paramhansa Yogananda is a Bengali who was born in 1893. He came to America in 1920. He was the first um, Indian master whose life work was the West. And he uh, lived in Los Angeles until 1952 when he died. He only went back to India once in, the, in when he first arrived in America mm-hmm. until his death. He only revisited India once. His work was in America. Swami Kriyananda was 22 years old in 1948 when he read Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi. I'm sure many of your listeners know that book. It's a seminal book for anyone who is a serious spiritual seeker. Mm-hmm. Swami was 22 years old. He was in New York City in 1948. He, he went all across, he traveled right across the United States. Immediately after finishing that book, became Yogananda's disciple and lived with Yogananda for the last three and a half years of Yogananda's life. He died, Yogananda died in 1952. Kriyananda then has been the one who has really carried on Yogananda's mission, not only in America now, but all around the world. He was the, the uh, one upon whom the responsibility for establishing Yogananda's the implications of Yogananda's teachings. That's why Swami was so creative. Swamiji, as I call him, was so creative in his work. Mm-hmm. And Ananda Sangha is the name he gave to the organization he formed. Ananda means, of course, eternal bliss. And Sangha is the fellowship. It's actually Ananda um, Church of Self-Realization also because self-realization is uh, what Yogananda, the, the English phrase Yogananda used to define Sanat and Dharma, to define the eternal path that he was teaching. And I've been part of Ananda Sangha. One of our aspects is that we have communities. We're not just monastic. We have monastics. We have monks and nuns. But our real focus is more um, giving families and couples, people who wish to live a more integrated life with the society as a whole, and yet still have a dedicated spiritual life. So we have nine communities where uh, we live in a cooperative spiritual way, and also temples, um, where wherever we have communities, we also have a temple, which is, you know, not so many places, Europe, uh, one in Italy, and a few building now in India, and several in the United States. I myself live, as I said, in Palo Alto, where um, over the last uh, almost 30 years, we've established a community as well as a temple, mm-hmm. and also a school for children, so it's all taking the idea that if if Satchitananda is all-pervasive, if we in fact are a part of the infinite, if our happiness lies in the degree to which we're able to attune to that, if meditation is a primary practice, what would life look like? You know, how do you how do you relate to your family? How do you educate your children? What do you do for for work? How do you creatively express yourself? And Nanda Sangha is dedicated to practically experimenting, developing, and then sharing with others what that would look like. I've been part of it for 45 years. It's been a great adventure. I've loved it. <laughs> I really love the name Church of Self-Realization. Uh-huh. It's very empowering. Yeah. And I love the fact that 
the ananda sangha is basically a community yes. and families and couples have a chance to live both lives one is the integrative community based life and then also evolve individually or spiritually and the fact that it's a center of sharing these ancient techniques or ideas bonding learning and growing but again not alone but together yeah. as a part of a community now i know that one of the practices that you teach at the sangha is raja yoga mm-hmm. so for the benefit of those who are new to yoga what is raja yoga and how is it different from other forms of yoga such as vinyasa or maybe ashtanga yoga well raja yoga is the overarching uh, name of all the specifics raja yoga is known as the royal highway and it i mean that's what it means that's another way of calling it raja meaning king or royal raja yoga is the all inclusive understanding of anything that expands our consciousness by deliberate effort in tune with sanatan dharma in tune with the highest teachings not just anybody's idea of what it means but raja yoga includes essentially the four paths of yoga which is karma yoga which means active service meditative yoga meditation as con- contemplation and communion and bhakti which is um devotion and jnana which is um self study now none of these really exist as separate realities you really can't understand yourself unless you have devotion you really can't you really can't serve unless you have wisdom to serve and meditation is the power that gives us all of the others so that we we go beyond the superficial so teaching raja yoga is to say that we teach a very holistic very balanced a very practical a method of union yoga's union union with union on all levels primarily and above all union with this with the small self with the infinite and any step toward true integration of the many um, disparate aspects of ourselves i mean this whole world is duality and we reflect it so anything that begins to resolve duality into harmony is is an aspect of yoga of raja yoga well thanks a lot for that explanation i love the fact that you mentioned it's an all inclusive and it's anything that expands our consciousness and the fact that you mentioned that there is four sections or four categories of what raja yoga stands for one is karma yoga which is work for the community meditative yoga and then you spoke about bhakti and then gyana which is essentially self study so in a way from what i understand it helps a person evolve and grow not just in one direction but in multiple directions so thanks for that explanation yes very good now yoga has been practiced for thousands of years now tell us a bit about the yoga sutras of patanjali and the influence that these sutras have on yoga as we know it today <laughs> well as we know today i don't know how clear that influence is but <laughs> you know that through the ages india india has i mean we always have to look to india there's just no there's no other culture or country anywhere india, india is and always will be the guru of the world and through time and eternity there have been these enlightened masters and some have chosen to immortalize what they've said in words Patanjali was one such great sage and he wrote a series of aphorisms sutras that essentially describe the whole practice of yoga they they describe all the active things that you can do in order to bring your consciousness into harmony with the infinite they're extremely terse 
and therefore commentaries on these aphorisms have been written. There's probably thousands of commentaries since the beginning of when Patanjali wrote, which was millennia ago. Nobody even actually knows. Patanjali describes the different stages of spiritual understanding through meditation, through action. He describes, there's a huge section on what happens after Essentially, after you have attained what I would have thought of as, as the end of the path, which is God-realization. But then, from there to freedom, it goes on and on. To be honest, I never understood Patanjali at all until toward the end of his life. Swami Kriyananda passed in 2013. And uh, one of the last books he wrote was a commentary on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And he retranslated them because he felt most of the translations he saw were unnecessarily confusing. So Kriyananda used his understanding of Patanjali that he gained from his own guru, and he wrote commentaries on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. I actually did a class that went on for like almost two years on those sutras, which you can find through my website. And it's astonishing wisdom and confirms a very simple fact, which is human nature has always been the same. And, you know, cell phones or, or Pony Express or riding on camels or riding on the jet airplanes, the quest for human happiness and fulfillment has never changed. And when we can be, bring ourselves back to the center and, and draw on the power of those who have walked this path in front of us, you see, the whole principle of self-realization is that even the greatest masters came from where we came from. And Wherever we are moving along that path, we are literally following in their footsteps. So when Patanjali speaks of something, he's not doing a research paper for a PhD. (laughs) He's standing in the vibration of what he's describing, and he's looking back at all the steps that were required to reach that vibration because he himself took those steps. So when you read it, that's why it's lived for so long. Uh, there's a power in there that is, is not just, oh, this guy is so smart. The power in there is that his present vibration completely encompasses ours. And, and so that it exerts, this is the power of how a guru works. It's, it's like it's a magnetic force. You, you, something in you awakens. You don't merely learn it. You recognize it. And you feel it in the core of your own self. This isn't just a good idea. This is me. This is who I am. And that's what really gives us the power to progress. You mentioned that Patanjali was a saint and he wrote sutras on activities that you can do to expand your consciousness. And he mentioned different stages of that spiritual understanding. He wrote these sutras thousands of years back and all through these years there have been numerous commentaries because those sutras were somewhat confusing, maybe consuming and maybe a little bit deeply esoteric. But you mentioned also uh, that Swami Kiryananda wrote a commentary that simplifies probably that wisdom and the fact that all this knowledge, all that wisdom, you don't really learn it but you recognize it by probably practicing it yourself. So my question to you, why are these ancient teachings of yoga so important to the modern or to the young mind? Could you talk a little bit on that? Because the answers are always the same. And the more confusing 
our society becomes, and my, it is a very confusing time. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a terrifying. It's terrifying and it's confusing, both. And it, we won't find our solutions outside of ourselves. It's not the way we're made. And once we become aware of the fact that the actual only battle to fight is the battle for self-mastery, and what with self-mastery, to whatever degree we attain it, then we can turn our attention toward the world around us and we'll be able to be effective in whatever way effective is for us, whether it's to find a, a partner to love, to raise a family, to make money, whatever. To be effective in our relation to the world inside of us is entirely defined by our relation to the world inside of us. All we're ever experiencing is our own consciousness and we are always reacting according to our own consciousness gain mastery over that and you have mastery over everything if, if people are think seriously and honestly about it you realize every difficulty in our life every failure comes because i couldn't master my own energy i spoke angrily when i shouldn't i i, cl- I closed down when i should have opened i was lazy when i should have worked hard i grew afraid and i didn't respond i got carried away by my enthusiasm and i wasn't paying attention you can Just make the list. But it all comes back to, I was not master of my own energy. So if we want to be master of our own energy, we have to look to those who know how to master their energy. And that's been the eternal specialty of yoga. Yoga, not hatha yoga, that's only one tiny part of it, but yoga meaning union. And the historical planetary, as I said, place where that's been stored has always been India. But it's the great masters you're looking to. And now we have examples in the West. We have Padre Pio as a modern example. We have St. Francis Christ, of course, who really is as much East as West, but the West claims him. But not, not church, not Christian church, but the teachings of Jesus are uh, pure yoga. They're, they're pure, uh, exactly the same, because If you're finding the truth, it has to be the same. You can't have parallel infinities. It has to be all the same. Mm -hmm. Now, there you go, listeners. It is definitely a confusing time, and I'm sure that you would be able to relate to it as well. Times are changing every second, every moment. And in such a situation, we won't really find a solution outside ourselves. We need to look within and to become a master of our own energy. And we can do it through yoga or yoga, which literally means union. Now, this beautifully transitions into the next question that I wanted to ask you, Asha. I've read on your website that in your classes and workshops, you blend the mystic yoga tradition of the East and the original teachings of Christianity. So, is there a relationship between Christianity and yoga? Well, um, yes. Oh, yes, 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 on many different levels. Now, the authority for what I'm saying is based on things that Paramhansa Yogananda said, Mm -hmm. and actually other sources as well. Yogananda himself, if you care to read Autobiography of a Yogi, he tells the story of his own masters of um, Mahavatar Babaji and the Himalayas and the relationship between Babaji and Jesus. And Yogananda was sent to the West by Himalayan masters specifically with the um, mission of restoring an understanding of Jesus's original teachings. You know, Christianity has been institutionalized 
in a way that the West likes institutions, the East manages to leave things alone and just let them take them their own course. But Jesus' teachings have become so institutionalized and dogmatized and defined that they bear very little resemblance in many cases to what he actually taught. Furthermore, Yogananda declared, and he's not the only one who has done so, there is a lot of historical verification of this, that the so-called lost years of Jesus, he actually went to India and studied with the masters in India, traveled all over India. It was 18 years. There's a great deal of evidence that those years, 18 years, were described in the Gospels, but that's a, a few hundred years afterwards, the church at a, at a convocation in 500 A.D. in Constantinople decided that they didn't really want people to think that Jesus had had to go anywhere and learn anything, didn't fit their image of how they wanted to present him. So they just took those years out. Now, it's inconceivable that none, no one ever asked Jesus, where were you from the time that you were 12 until you were 30 and then you showed up again, it's inconceivable that people didn't know where he was and what he was doing. So the complete absence of any commentary almost in itself says that it was taken out. And there there are manuscripts that have been found in Tibet and in India. There's um, historical documents here and there. And here's another interesting point, is that immediately after Jesus died, his disciple Thomas went to India was sent to India. And the tradition is that Thomas was assigned by Jesus to go back to India. And Thomas had his whole life in India, and his, his body's in Chennai, in a beautiful cathedral there. And there's a further tradition that when Thomas went back to India, what he taught was Sanatan Dharma. He taught what Jesus actually taught, which was completely consistent with the teachings of India, which are the eternal teachings. They're not, they're not Hinduism. Hinduism is an aberration too. It's not Sanatan Dharma pure, but only hundreds of years after Thomas's death, when the Portuguese and the uh, Catholic missionaries came, they expunged all evidence of Sanatan Dharma and made it into Roman Catholicism. Now, that's a long story, but the end point of all of that is that there's only one truth, and that truth is seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. And where is the kingdom of God? It lies within you. That's what Jesus said. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, you know, churches don't quote that. They don't even know what to make of it. It was a commandment. It was, this is your reality, self-realization. And, and Jesus walked the path of discipleship and self-realization. But, but the church once you took those 18 years out, you see, Jesus just pops out of nowhere. He knows everything already. He's completely separate than us. Um, you know, there's no understanding of sadhana. There's no understanding of how you attain anything. He's just there, and we hope he saves us, or we believe he saves us, but we lost the path. But Jesus himself, you see, went to the feet of Master's study, did his own sadhana, not because he needed it, but because it was an example. It's, he was showing us, this is how you attain self-realization. So now we, for in Christianity, as it's taught through the churches, we don't know how to attain self-realization, except by relying completely on Jesus, which is a bit emasculating, actually. You really want to participate. 
So what Yogananda came to show is that, and it's all through the Bible, in in autobiography of a yogi, it's there. In Kriyananda's written a book called Revelations of Christ. In Kriyananda's own autobiography, which is called The Path, all of the yogic aspects of Christianity are just brought to life again. Nothing is created or interpreted. It's just there because it's inherent in what he taught because he was a master. And he, he came to help his disciples now and in the future to become masters themselves. But it's anathema in Christianity to think that you could be as, as realized as Jesus. But he said, that which I do, you shall do in greater things. Why do you call me gods? Do not your own scriptures say that you are gods? He was repudiating what became the dogma later. He said, this is us. This is not me. This is us. You call me master? He said, I call you friend. Because friends share. We are equal in our devotion to our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks a lot for that explanation and for that wisdom. You mentioned that during the lost years, Jesus went to India and learned from the ascended masters in the Indian subcontinent. And what really resonated with me was when you said that Thomas was sent to India. And I agree. And I know being a resident of India till a, a year back is that Thomas was still today one of the most famous apostles of Jesus in India. So for the person who is new to yoga and to meditation, what is your definition of spirituality and how does one take that first step towards being spiritual? So let's say, for example, a person is doing the 9 to 5, maybe he's doing a business and is experiencing a stress or pressure from multiple areas of his or her life and wants to embark on this wondrous journey of being spiritual. So what is that first step that a person can take towards this new life? Well, first you have to understand that spirituality is simply life because the spiritual path is your state of consciousness and there's no moment ever in all of eternity when you, you're not in the middle of your consciousness and you're making choices that determine your state of consciousness. You're dulling your consciousness with television and alcohol and overeating or sugar or whatever it might be. You're stimulating your intelligence with, I mean, your consciousness with inspiring ideas or uplifting ideas or happiness-producing ideas. And it's all very directional because wherever you are, there's always a way to go forward and there's always a way to go back. Wherever you are in your own vibration of consciousness, some, some things take you into a more expanded state and some take you into a more contracted one. But people who are standing at a different a different point on that path what might be forward for them could be backward for you mm-hmm. so it's very very personal um it's it, that's why having a guru and so on is helpful but the first uh, thing to understand is that i am not a victim that my responses are, are under my charge and then we have to it, it helps to, to read or study. And these days, there are countless choices. You can go to Wayne Dyer or you can go to Patanjali. And just depending on who you are, you find that which tells you to take steps that make sense to you. And then you simply start doing them, whether it's you know responding more kindly or counting to 10 before you lose your temper, <laughs> listening instead of always talking, um, you know, just paying attention to what kind of vibration am I putting out? 
you know, the, the quantity and the quality of your energy is the key always. Um, and how to do that in everyday life has been the mission of Swami Kriyananda and the mission of Ananda. Swami Kriyananda has written a course called 26, it's 26 lessons, it's called uh, Material Success Through Yogic Principles, or they might actually call it now Happiness and Success Through Yogic Principles. It's a, it's a magnificent course, 26 very long and very juicy um, sections. It's available in India as a book, and I believe in the U.S. as a course. If you look up Ananda Sangha, ananda.org, you'll find it. And it's it's step by step. I've also given a very long class. I taught that course for about a year or two. It's called, my course is called Manifesting Through the Power of Yoga. And basically what it does is it bridges the the non-existent gap between spiritual and material life because it says, okay, what is the appropriate consciousness for this task? And that's what we should be asking ourselves in every circumstance. I'm with my children. What is the appropriate consciousness for being with my children? I'm with, with my spouse. What is the appropriate consciousness for being with my spouse? Because God and spirit are the same everywhere. So it's a question only of finding out, tuning in, and it all, it all you see, it's all an integrated whole. How do I tune in? Well, I have to do those practices which bring me back to center so I can discern the difference between my agitated vrittis and the actual voice of intuition. And then I need to have the, the practice and the techniques that give me mastery over those impulses that I don't wish to continue and access to those things that I, I seek to make my own. And you can start almost anywhere. You can start by changing your diet. You can start by uh, exercising. You can start by reading books instead of watching television. You can start by taking yoga classes, by taking meditation classes. The main point is just start. Because as soon as you start sincerely trying to open yourself to greater wisdom and a greater reality, that sincerity itself, you see, creates the magnetism to draw your next step. So you mentioned that it's all about your state and vibration of your consciousness and it's all about expanding your state of consciousness as well. And the first step, the first step is to understand that you are not a victim, that you have the power within you to change your life and then seeking out masters or gurus who have made those changes themselves in their lives so that you can tune in learn and transform yourself but you just have to take that first step you just have to change and to make that first step easier we are moving on to the health tip section asha during which our guests share one health tip something simple and small that a person can try immediately to improve his or her health so what is it one tip that you can share with our audience drink eight glasses of water a day Because uh, we are very, very subject to our physical bodies. And when our physical bodies are toxic, our thoughts become confused. The synapses of the brain take place in the medium of water. And most people are dehydrated and therefore they can't think clearly. In our our schools, one of the things that uh, we have told people to improve your exam scores 
is make sure that you're fully hydrated before you go into the exam. Yep. And uh, just, I mean, that's you asked for a very simple health tip. That's one. <laughs> it's a huge reality, uh, very much ignored. And I don't mean tea, water, and soda. I mean tea, uh, coffee, and soda. I mean water, just pure, good water. It'll change everything. It'll change everything about your health and also about your thinking if you're, if you're deficit. And don't ask yourself, am I thirsty? Because the body tells you that you're thirsty for so long and you pay no attention to it, it finally just goes to sleep on the point. So you have to just put the glasses of water in front of you and drink them every day for some time um, before your body's natural thirst begins to balance itself. And yes, you will have to go into the bathroom more often. <laughs> but it's worth it. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for that tip. Uh-huh. When we meet a real tragedy in life, we can react in two ways, either by losing hope and falling into self-destructive habits or by using the challenge to find our inner strength. Thanks to the teachings of Buddha, I've been able to take this second way. This was a wonderful thought shared by the Dalai Lama and this is going to be the central theme for the next phase of our show, which is all about a major challenge or a learning moment. So Asha, tell us about a time when you were faced by a major challenge. Take us to that moment Tell us what you were feeling at that instant, and then how did you overcome that challenge? Well, I have never found when faced with a major challenge that it's easy to overcome, and that there's rarely a miracle. What we tend to enter into when we face a major challenge is that we are entering a period of time in which continued perseverance is going to be required, but the most important single point to remember, and I was working on a writing project, for example, was very simply this, which is nothing would be given to me by the universe if I wasn't also simultaneously capable of of facing it. I mean, this is actually a metaphysical truth that's related to the chakras because there's much karma buried in the chakras from many incarnations and and will be worked out over many incarnations to come. But there is a magnetic relationship between our own power to run positive energy up the spine and those seeds of karma emerging from the spine. I think of it as seeds of karma are like paper clips buried in the sand at varying uh, depths. And if you're running a magnet over the surface of the sand, those paper clips will be drawn up according to the depth at which they're buried, the size of the metal, and the power of the magnet. So the, the, power, the magnet going across the sand is our own growing capacity, we hope, over time to generate positive energy and face a challenge. So when we get a little stronger, that magnetism is a little stronger and then more karma is drawn up. This is why people say, God will never send you a challenge greater than you can meet. That's the metaphysical part of it. So my, whatever I face, you know, with an an instant disappointment or somebody has died or someone is ill or something like that, the thought always, if, if if the challenge is given, then the energy to face it will also be there. But not necessarily effortlessly. And this is where, and the other thing about it is the purpose of every challenge. And when I was facing the writing of a book that I had a lot of trouble writing, it was the purpose of this challenge is not necessarily to write the book, although eventually I did. 
but it is to change my consciousness. This is an opportunity. See, karma is unlearned lessons. This is an opportunity to learn something I don't already know and that I need to know for my own happiness. So even though, in that case, the struggle took almost three years, I never thought, I never, I never thought it was unfair. And what happened to me at the end of three years, I, I still, at that point, I still hadn't done the book, but I did it after that, was I realized that the struggle itself had completely transformed me. And the result, you know, of eventually writing a, a book was extra <laughs> because the transformation is what was needed. So I, I concentrate on the transformation. What, you know, what is this bringing out of me? Oh, look, how, how weak is my faith? Look how easily I become frightened. Look how low is my energy. Um, look how angry is my heart. Oh, wow, these are a lot of things I have to learn, aren't they? And I just try to set about learning them. And, and not, to be, not to be surprised at my own limitations. Wow. You know, I didn't know I felt this way. I didn't know I was capable of this, but I certainly am. So I have something I have to work on. And that that's, uh, I don't want to be glib. This is not easy. And there's a lot of tears. There's no just, there's no just, oh, I'll just have the right attitude. Don't even think about it. It's a, it's very, very difficult. But what choice do we have? But you see, you have to believe deeply in karma and reincarnation, which I do, which is, it has to be faced. And I'll either face it now, or I'll face it now, but it'll be another now, but it won't be any different when I have to face it. So no matter how painful the struggle, you just have to persevere. So looking back now, what is that one major life lesson you would want our listeners to take away from your story? Don't quit. Don't worry about how feeble your efforts feel to you. Just don't quit. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Because you shared your experience with us, our listeners have one more reason to grow through a challenge and not go through a challenge. And with that, we are zooming on to the next round, which is around about finding your true calling or your purpose. I have brought myself by long meditation to the conviction that a human being with a settled purpose must accomplish it and that nothing can resist a will which will stake even existence upon its fulfillment. And this is a wonderful thought shared by writer Benjamin Disraeli. So my question to you, Asha, is have you found your calling? If yes, what is your calling? Oh, I found my calling when I met Swami Kriyananda <laughs> when I was 22. It was to grow closer to God and to do my best to inspire others to uh, make that same effort. And I have been fully engaged in it my entire life. I've never stepped away from it even for a moment. I have been extremely fortunate in that. And I, I thank God every day. I, once I entered the ashram and the spiritual life, I've lived a very interesting and varied life, traveled all over the world, done lots of very interesting things. I've been far from secluded. But everything I've done has been uh, circling around, uh, becoming spiritually deeper myself, and insofar as I'm able to share that with others, which truthfully, that's everybody's purpose. Nobody has any other purpose, but mine uh, has a very simple form, for others, it may be to raise a family or make a business, whatever it is, but really all that you're doing is expanding your consciousness and sharing that expanded consciousness with others, whatever the medium. Well, that is in indeed inspiring and thanks a lot for sharing. 
And this brings us to the very last round of our show, the Wisdom Round, where I will ask you a series of questions and you will respond with nuggets of wisdom, just like in a rapid fire round. So, Asha, are you ready? Mm-hmm. What is the best advice you have ever received? Well, I, this may not be the absolute best, but it was very helpful. Swami Kriyananda said to me one day, whenever your ego gets involved, you make terrible decisions. <laughs> and what I understood by that was when I become uh, frightened and try to protect myself, then I, I can never tell which way is up. But when I rest in my heart, which he also said to me later, rest in your heart. When I rest in my heart, and feel my calm connectedness to a greater reality than just my little self, mm-hmm. then it's always, everything always goes much better after that. Now, great habits can empower you to change your life. So, if you had to recommend a personal habit that contributes to your well being, what would that be? To spend time silence, communing, communing with the infinite every day. I mean, learn to meditate. And then practice it. And don't don't allow yourself to be dismayed by the thought that you have to go on ten day silent retreats. Mm-hmm. If you spend if you spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night just praying and communing and trying to center yourself, uh, it, you know, great great changes come from small beginnings. And too many people feel that because they can't make a great beginning, they don't make any beginning at all. I set yourself very small goals and achieve those goals. And once you express yourself willing by action to try to attune to a greater reality, then that force reaches down to help you. But you have to take the first step. Mm-hmm. So there you go, listeners. I know it can be challenging sometimes to see somebody in front of you who has achieved uh, maybe success in terms of their spiritual evolvement or maybe physical or relationships as well. But don't just look at where that person is. Look at where you are right now and what is that one step, what is that small beginning that you can make today or maybe right now to express yourself through that action and when you do magically the universe is there for you the universe wants to help you and you never know who you can meet what book you will read or what message that appears right in front of you and that's when you begin your journey towards finding your true calling and what you said asha really beautifully ties into my next question which is what is your morning ritual like could you describe the first two hours of your day well almost every day um, I do a series that's called the energization exercises mm-hmm. that were well, actually the first thing I do even before I get out of bed right now I'm reading the imitation of Christ but just early as I wake up before I even get out of bed I, I, I the imitation of Christ right now is really speaking to me and so I read a chapter sometimes two and it it, it really puts me right where I need to be there's you know read, to read something very powerful mm-hmm. with vibrations really has an effect then I uh energize and often while energizing is like a 15 minute set of exercises that are it's not yoga uh it's it's a little more subtle it's a little different than yoga but it's you might think of it like yoga but it also trains the will as well as the body Mm -hmm. i often listen to to swami kriyananda a talk by swami kriyananda while i'm energizing um it's i like to hear his voice i like to hear his ideas early 
Um, then I do a couple of other preliminaries to meditation. Then I sit down to meditate. Whether I meditate a half an hour or two hours just depends on what the day is. If I'm in a, in a writing mode, which I am entering again right now, oftentimes uh, soon, uh, soon after I sit to meditate, I have ideas. And I, I sometimes actually meditate less in the morning when I'm writing because I have to take those ideas right over to the computer. So that's that's pretty much, you know, it's energization meditation. I try to listen to Swami early in the day. And then if I'm doing creative work and it calls me, I have to go right to that. So reading even one powerful book can be transformational. So if you could recommend one book that changed your life, what would it be? Well, I think Autobiography of a Yogi has to be said first. Mm -hmm. But I would also put right there The New Path my Life with Yogananda by Swami Kriyananda. I think those are uh, a real pair that just uh, speak to everyone. <laughs> uh, at least parts of them will speak to everyone. And if you're, excuse me, that's not that's not true, but if it will speak to many people if their vibrations match it. So those for me have been the books that have made all the difference. So listeners, you can find links to the books and other exciting stuff that we spoke about in the show notes. So, Asha, I am honored to have had this conversation with you today and your invaluable wisdom and advice will surely change lives. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for today. Tell us the best way we can find you and then we'll say goodbye. I'm really grateful for the life that, that God has given me every day. Mm -hmm. There's not been one day of my life when I haven't been grateful. I've been happier and sadder at different times, but I've never not been grateful. Um, am I, I can be found, I have a website, it's very simple, Asha Joy, A-S-H-A, Joy, AshaJoy.org.com, either one, and uh, that, that's a, a link, that's a portal that'll take you to everything else, books I've written, classes I've given, I have a YouTube channel, I have a YouTube channel that has literally, literally hundreds mm -hmm. of videos on it, you mentioned the, uh, the there's a four-part series on the chakras, yeah. which seem really, um, it has thousands of views by now. People seem to really like that one. But you'll find a whole uh, curriculum of, of everything. There's a, there's a couple of uh, series that I gave in New Zealand, especially the first series that I gave in New Zealand in 2013, I think, which is basically the whole curriculum of self-realization in a very comprehensive way. So any of those or anything that you find you'll like. Mm -hmm. So there you go, action takers and listeners. If any portion of our interview or if the whole interview, I'm sure, if it resonated with you, if it made you think about the bright future that lies ahead, go to ashajoy.com, go to ashajoy.org and once you go there, you'll have loads of articles, there are videos, even Asha's YouTube uh, page, that's something that I highly recommend because when you watch those videos, even one video early in the morning, that will you know enable that change that will transform the rest of your day for you. And I can tell you from personal experience because I have done that. So Asha, thanks for appearing on My 7 Chakras, sharing those priceless nuggets of wisdom and taking our listeners one step closer to a human revolution. Okay. It was a joy to be with you, Aditya. Thank you for calling. Listening to My Seven Chakras. Go to my S E V E N Chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. 
transform your life today.